0: I'm studying the relationship between loneliness and cardiovascular disease. What we know is that loneliness predicts an increase in mortality equivalent to smoking about 15 cigarettes a day. And one of the ways that that seems to be happening is through an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And so in my grant, what we're doing is we're looking at the social interactions that people have and seeing if there is a physiological predictor. Of, we call it a biomarker of cardiovascular disease during social interactions for lonely people. And what we have preliminarily uh, is through some lab based data, where what we found is that essentially for lonely people, they're going into what we might describe as a fight or flight response during social interactions when they may disclose something personal. And so those personal conversations that lead to us feeling connected are harder for lonely people and maybe stressing them out.
1: So what you're finding is if someone is traditionally lonely or they're lonely most of the time, when they finally do connect with people, it causes them anxiety. And that anxiety seems to leave some sort of physical marker in their System like an increase in something, some kind of chemical, right?
0: We're focused on physiology. So we're looking at specifically what's called heart rate variability, which is a biomarker of the sympathetic nervous system. So we associate that with the fight or flight response, which does correlate with cortisol levels, which we know are traditionally bad for the heart. But you're absolutely right uh, about your summary which is that when traditionally lonely people have a chance to connect, it's hard for them. And that this may actually be helping partially explain some of these detrimental effects on health that are pretty widely established in the literature at this point.
1: And the reason it's hard for them, that's what you're going to get to in this study, why it's so hard for them and what then either we as a society can do or you as a doctor can do to help make it less hard for them? Is that what you're um to think a little
0: about? bit? Yeah. Um what I study is what we call intimacy and interpersonal intimacy. And so loneliness kind of occurs through two different paths. There's the traditional isolated individual who isn't interacting with anyone. And then there's people that interact with people every day, all day, but still feel lonely despite being surrounded by people. And that tends to be what I'm more interested in. And for those individuals who are having social interactions and still feeling lonely, there seems to be deficits in becoming vulnerable, essentially sharing the things that if I shared with you and you responded poorly, I'd be less likely to share moving forward. And what we know is that when you share those hard things and other people respond well, that's when we feel connected and that's where we kind of find Our ability to mitigate loneliness really stems from at least the type of loneliness I'm interested in. It is the 18 to 25-year-olds right now that are experiencing the most loneliness. Uh, A recent Cigna study said that almost 80% of individuals in that age group experience loneliness regularly.
1: One of my sayings, at least internally, what I've always thought is, the most lonely you can be sometimes is when you're sitting right next to somebody that just doesn't get you, you know, you might be in an intimate relationship with somebody, but you might be in the same room with them. I mean, you might even be physically touching them, but you are on your own little Island somewhere else. And that's, to me, that's the most lonely you can be. And uh, and it struck me when you said that what you're studying is those people who they might be involved with a lot of people. They might be in a work situation or whatnot, but they just don't feel connected even remotely.
0: Yeah. And I think to my own experiences, I recently just celebrated my five-year anniversary and I have a toddler and my wife and I spend Regular time together. But a lot of what we do is talk about work and talk about our son. And what I find is those aren't the moments I feel necessarily connected. Those aren't the moments that I feel really integrated. The other day, when we went and had a nice dinner and had the shared experience where we were talking about our passions and what excites us, those were the moments I felt really connected to her. And so I think you're exactly right. It doesn't matter to me necessarily if you're in a relationship, if you're surrounded by people, that can still be just emotionally lonely. It's those moments where you're really connecting that matter.
1: And it sounds like what is causing that physical anxiety is the worry maybe that what if you were actually authentic with someone else? that they would reject you and then you'd feel even more lonely?
0: I believe so. So the construct I spend a lot of time studying is called fear of intimacy. And it's a fear of disclosure. It's a fear of sharing personal things that may lead to rejection. And it's a fear of making a long-term commitment to an individual. Those are kind of the two themes that emerge. And so I think when you look at it, if someone rejects you and you're not sharing personal things, well, they're not really rejecting you. They're kind of rejecting the surface level you. But if you share the things that are really important to you, And then you get rejected. Well, that's reflective of who you actually are. And and I think that leads to real pain. And I think as a society right now, we are more apt to essentially have a one strike and you're out policy in the things that we share. I, I could name two political candidates and lose half your audience, depending on which one I spoke nice about and which one I spoke poorly about. And sometimes that's deeply reflective of our values as a person. And even just sharing that can lead to rejection. So we we kind of present as, as amorphous in order to not lose that and to not get rejected for who we are, I believe.
1: What's interesting to me as you're talking about this, you know, we always speak metaphorically about the heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. And somebody is in your heart and you love them with your whole heart. And what you're telling me is More than metaphorically, if you don't connect with people in a real way and have that intimacy in your life, your actual heart, as opposed to your metaphorical heart, actually gets hurt, which is, that's interesting. I mean, I think that as people look at modern medicine, they think, okay, here's medicine and then here's my inner life. And it sounds like your inner life and the actual physical heart as a muscle has a lot to do with each other, right?
0: Absolutely. And that's what our field of health psychology really explores is how our internal world and our behaviors deeply impact our well-being, both in terms of health behaviors. Uh, I think we can all think of times that maybe we had a relationship end and ate a, a quart of ice cream when maybe we didn't want to, and that would be a health behavior. But we can even look at it in terms of It's scary. And when your anxiety is constantly going up and down with every social interaction, it stresses out your heart. And we're finding suggestors of this in very young people. And so if we take that information together, we kind of get this narrative where we may be in for 20, 30 years from now. A lot of kind of risk of these loneliness correlates of heart disease, of deaths of despair, uh, because our young people are really struggling with this more than ever.
1: And I would imagine a lot of older people as well right?
0: Yeah. We actually find a really interesting, we would call it a bimodal distribution. Think of a camel's hump where it's emerging adulthood is where we see the highest levels of loneliness that decreases through adulthood. And then as you get older, we'll see higher levels of loneliness again, but it does seem as though the evidence for older individuals is a little more mixed about when that really emerges with some data saying it's after you're 60 something and some data saying it's closer to when you're 80 and you're losing mobility and maybe your social network is shrinking because of death, because of people moving away in mobility. So that data, for at least as I interpret it, is a little more ambiguous.
1: So in order to get this grant, you had to show at least some kind of initial findings and what you found so far is that there's a corollary right that you can find physical markers um when you have this internal experience of loneliness. So as you build this research out and do the studies, what comes next then?
0: We have slightly stronger than a correlate. We have causality. Uh, So in an experimental setting, what I did is I asked people across a spectrum of loneliness, either benign questions. When was the last time you walked for more than an hour? What did you see on your walk? to deeply personal questions and those were two different conditions and the deeply personal questions were things like if you were to die today without the chance to speak to anyone what would you most regret not having said yet why haven't you said it so you can see how one really pulls for that information we found that when we started asking the personal questions the the physiology did not look nearly as good. For me, what I'm passionate about is how can we mitigate this? How can we teach people to be safely vulnerable? And that feels like a little bit of a contradiction, but we can't be vulnerable with everyone. Not everyone's going to respond well to us, and we're not all skillful at being vulnerable. So I want to work on helping people identify who they can be vulnerable with, teaching them how to engage in a thoughtful way with vulnerability and how we can learn to reconnect with the world again, especially in a post-COVID world. And I think you could make the argument we're not quite post-COVID still, but loneliness really jumped up because we stopped engaging in the same way. We go to work and the halls are empty because people are working remotely and we lose a Zoom meeting if, if, if you and I had been sitting around in person instead of doing this remotely. I would have talked to you. I would have gotten to know you a little bit before the interview. And today we kind of jump right into the interview without that chance to engage. There's some individual therapies that we can do to work on this. And I do a lot of research on those. And then there's more and more kind of global communities that are built around connecting and learning how to connect. And I'll highlight the great work done by Mavis Sai who has developed a framework for upscaling this because we can't cure loneliness one person at a time. It's, It's kind of got to be a cultural shift.
1: That's interesting to me because, for example, like if people are lonely because they feel vulnerable, really expressing themselves authentically, a lot of times the reason why you do that or anybody does that is because they have an actual experience in their past, maybe more than one, to where they shared something that was important to them, and then people rejected them. A lot of times that happens in person. And the reason I go back to online, one, we spend a lot of our time online. And two, I just think of the kind of real deep incivility and meanness and sometimes savagery that people get online when they're actually, I mean, there's some people that are performative for sure, but there's some people that are actually being Really honest to God, vulnerable. And then all they get is like torrents and streams of abuse. And to me, that would make you definitely less likely to be authentic, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. And I think anecdotally, it's it's really easy. I I think of times that I've told someone I love them and it doesn't go well early in my dating relationships compared to my wife and just how long it took me to learn how to express that again. It gets scary when you're rejected. And that's the technical term is punishment, which means you're less likely to engage in a behavior. And so I think online, what we end up doing is we drift towards echo chambers. We find the areas where we have communities. And I think that community is really, really great. But I also think that it leads to in-group, out-group. If I'm drifting towards communities of only professors and only people that will understand what it means to be a professor... And I say, well, researchers who aren't professors are bad. Well, I've just created this isolation. And I think that's some of what we're seeing. And again, the parameters of what is accepted become so much narrower over and over again. So I do think you're right that we can go to these online communities and the harassment that people experience is is so real and so hurtful. You know, cyberbullying is a, a real problem. And we react appropriately to that. We respond in ways that try to make us feel connected. But I think sometimes that also leads to if you're surrounded in a community where all you can say, you know, it's going to be responded to that's not vulnerability either. And so you're still not taking those risks when you're surrounded by people. And I think those risks are really important and it's about calibrating those risks in in a good way.
1: So as we wrap up and, you know, you want to give people some food for thought as they walk away from this today, the idea is we're seeing more loneliness. We're seeing it in maybe a young group of people, that 18 to 25, that you wouldn't necessarily associate with it. I mean, it's pretty clear to anybody who is older that you can and often do get lonely the older you are so so now you're looking at this with the younger people if you had some advice to give to people in terms of like okay you know yourself you're feeling kind of lonely and you want to avoid In addition to whatever mental health consequences, there are actual physical health consequences. Do you have any advice on that before your study is even over with?
0: Yeah, there's two components to me. And the first is getting active. You have to be around people, in my opinion. I I think the internet's great, but it's nuanced. So my first advice is go out and be with people. And the second thing is go outside of your comfort zone just a little. You don't wanna go in, into over the top disclosures. You don't wanna share something that is appropriately associated with shame necessarily. But if you share a little bit more, we all have those moments where we say, oh, I was thinking about saying this and then I backed away from it. And if you explore what it's like to share a little more and encourage everyone around you to listen and respond, I think that's the other component. There, There's a a lot of evidence that says, our ability to respond to people without rejecting them is a core part of this. And I think that's the scaffolding we have to build from. And you have to give that before it's going to be returned to you. You have to listen to people and not reject them, even if it's hard for you to to kind of sit with sometimes.
1: So the idea, you know, you get what you give, right? Like that, like that song, right? You have to be more understanding in order to get more understanding. And it's good for everybody's health for you to be that way, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Is there anything you'd like to add that maybe I have neglected to ask here?
0: No, I I mean, I I think you covered a a lot, but the important thing for me is just clarifying how much worse this has gotten over time. The modal American, the average American has no close confidants anymore. And that, to me, is terrifying that there's no one that we can confide in on average. And that's been true for, I believe, at least 15 years. I'd have to double check my my citations to confirm that. But we have gotten so much worse about this level of connection. And COVID is kind of the cherry on top of the sundae. But we were going this direction long before this was a problem. So I think this is getting worse. It's impacting younger people in a way it never has before. And we need to kind of approach it differently. And we need to go outside of our comfort zone and really connect. Um, Is it, kind of the take home for me.
1: So if you had to quantify this, you said studies show that most Americans don't have anybody that they can confide in. Really?
0: That's correct. Yeah. Uh, wow. the, the, and um, there, there was a, a great study that I, I found several years ago at this point when I was a postdoc. That I believe equated, I'll I'll give you the number I I feel comfortable saying, which is adding one close friend to your life, Mm -hmm. uh, someone you can confide in, had the same impact on kind of happiness and well-being as an increase in salary of $100,000 or more.
1: Wow. Friendships are priceless then.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I mean, there is a price. You just just put one on it, but still...